not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Welcome back to another episode of Leaning Middle, everybody. Today we're going to take a look at what happened and the effect of the outcome of several races in the House, the Senate, and then several down-ballot races in uh, state legislatures across the country. Um, it was very interesting. You know, we'll see Joe Biden as the 46th president, but a lot of the movement that people expected to occur on those down-ballot races uh, – did not take place. So we'll t- also discuss that a little bit as well. I'm Eric. And I'm Brian. And uh, I, I agree. I think there was uh, a lot, of, lot to look at in this particular election. And one of the things that just never materialized that, that we all kind of thought and expected was this blue wave going up and down the ballot. And yep. uh, although it was close, it, it does look like as of right now that uh, uh, Joe Biden is going to be our 46th. Uh, Trump holds out hope that there's going to be uh, some lawsuits that will swing that, but I really don't see a path to that, especially as they continue to throw his cases out. Um, but there's a lot to look at besides the presidential debate, or uh, not debate, the presidential election. Um, sorry, those debates were just so memorable that they just yeah. they kind of popped up in, in my, my mind there. How um, could you ever forget? I know. Just shut up, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was the first time I've ever heard that in a presidential debate. Yeah. Um, but uh, so what does it look like in the House, the Senate, and then also state legislatures as well? Because there's a lot of movement that's happening right now. And what does that really mean in the, the long run? So, we like we said, we expected a big blue wave. We expected the uh, the Democrats to take uh, back the Senate and then increase their majority in the House. And what happened is in the House of Representatives, they ended up losing, I think, 12 seats. They mm-hmm. lost um, a lot of these freshman senators who f- came in on the high of the Democrats in 2018, you know, it was an adverse reaction to Donald Trump. A lot of these people who got elected in 2018 lost to Republican candidates this year in 2020. And then in the Senate, several um, vulnerable senators, Susan Collins, um, Tom Tillis, both held on and were able to hold their seats, even though they were highly contested. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell was also given a really good uh contest and then you saw in south carolina lindsey graham you know his opponent raised over a hundred million dollars in a quarter and lost terribly to him as well so a lot of these vulnerable seats in the senate did not flip in fact they were held on to with uh firm majorities and the democrats pick up a few senate seats here and there and it's really coming down to georgia right now where there are two runoffs and for both Senate seats. And it seems that the Democrats have a chance to take back the Senate because if they win both of those seats, then um, under a Biden presidency, they'd be able to pass legislation because uh, Kamala Harris would be the tiebreaker. But 
it's very, very rare that both of those are going to go to one party versus the other. And if that were to happen, it's much more likely that would both would go and swing Republican. So we'll probably see a split on that Georgia ticket, which would result in a Republican majority in the Senate. Then if we take a look down at state legislatures, there's one word and one word only, and that is uh, margins. Because Republicans have widely held control, but the Democrats are gaining on them in almost every single state. So it seems that things could be shaken up very, very soon in the political landscape. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how decisions made over the next four years will affect that. Yeah, and and I think, you know, you and I have discussed this multiple times, but uh, what concerns me is if the the Democrats uh, lose the Senate and uh, – no, let me rephrase that. Uh, I want a Republican Senate in order to offset the balance of power. Gotcha. Because that is the the whole purpose behind a two-party system, right, is that – you should be able to keeping ideologic beliefs in play and uh, balance the direction that the country swings. Cause you know, it, it's really hard when you have a country that swings really, really far right. And then that presidency and, and Senate and, and house or, or those elections are up and then it swings really, really, really far to the left. Yeah. It, it really makes for some really, confusing and hard times and and it's not a system in which a lot of people could thrive and one of the things that i really want to see is if we're going to have a republican governor or a president then i want to look at what it looks like with a republican house or i'm sorry a democratic president republican senate in (laughs) order to balance each other out um and so that that's kind of my concern. And, and that's what I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of people that are like, well, Biden won, we're going socialist. And I'm like, hold on. This is, this is what the two party system is built on is balancing. And they're like, well, it's just not going to balance. It's, it's going to be um, democratic all the way down the, the, the branches. And I'm kind of going at that. That's not the way we need it to be. Uh, it might be because so many people are, are upset with the way, that the Republican Party is handling situations and, and what they're saying and, and or what they're ignoring and and uh, doing those. But that implication is going all the way up and down. I mean, there are state seats now that are being challenged by Democrats that have been strong Republican holds for a long time. And I think that that's the trickle down effect of um, the extremism, the, the extreme swings of the federal uh, federal levels. Yeah, and I'll play devil's advocate a little bit because I understand the whole idea of kind of you know having a balanced government, but it it seems to me that like at the same time that there was never an intent for a two party system, you know, in America. Like it's kind of evolved and become this over time, but. You know, if you really look at the Constitution, what what protects and what gives those checks and balances to government are the three branches, not necessarily the two parties controlling one of those branches at the same time. So in a perfect system, even if one party held all three branches, they would be independent of each other. So that's what scares me is with the politicization of the judicial branch now, you know, it's like the fact that we can 
we have to even worry about a, a majority or a minority of conservatives versus liberals and how they would vote is is insane. So um, it's it's hard. You know, I want to say, yes, it would be a good thing to have those checks and balances. But then I also think back and a lot of times even um, – you know, when majorities were held, when, you know, Donald Trump came into power and the conservatives, the Republicans held all the uh, both chambers of Congress, as well as the White House, they still were ineffective and bickering because, you know, there was checks and balances put into place between the uh, the different branches. So even if the um, Democrats do happen to win both um, Senate races and they do have this, you know, super majority, then, you know, the conservatives don't have a ton to worry about, because I think as we saw, there was a lot of infighting in 2016 to 2018 when the conservatives had the supermajority. And the same thing will likely happen when the Democrats have a supermajority. There is not going to just be a consensus among ever, all of the people in that party to fire through really radical legislation. And then at the same time, the Supreme Court, you know, as it should be unpoliticized, but in the reality of uh, the world we're in, it is very conservative. So that can strike down a handful of things as well. So whereas normally I would say it would be good to see um, some type of divided government at some level, at this point, I'm very curious to see what the other side of the coin would look like. Because for me, I saw a supermajority of the conservatives, I saw mixed government, and now I would like to kind of see what the Democrats can do with their time because I am not impressed with what the other two results have yielded so far. Well, I think one, one thing to kind of go with what you're talking about, I think one of the reasons that there was a lot of bickering and, and infighting in 2016, 2018 area was because you had a, um, a president from outside the system and was going uh -huh. against the system and was aggressively calling people out and calling them names and, and, uh, doing everything anti-system based. And, and I think that's why there was a lot of, of um, not getting things done was because people were trying to figure out how he's going about doing things and, and what he's trying to do and, and standing their ground and, and everything else. I think if you get Biden in there who understands how the system works and has the, um, the history of creating um, coalitions of people to move his bills through and, and, and get things accomplished. I think that that would be a different outcome than what you saw because, and, and I think it would definitely swing a lot more left. And I just don't know that this country is ready to go a lot more left. I, I think this country is needing some time in the middle. And that's why I say, that if we can have a Republican Senate that can hold some checks and balances, then I think we have the ability to create something that's a little bit more in the middle. Um, that that's my concern. Now, I my son is uh, doing homeschool right now, and he just he's learning the presidents and learning there. He spends about a week working on every single president, uh, and his uh -huh. last week was George Washington. And one of the things that he brought up to me that I thought was very interesting was George Washington, our very first president, was actually very upset when a two-party system came into place. He did not want a yep. two-party system in place because he didn't feel like it was uh, advantageous for the, the country. Um, yeah. Now, 
he went into more detail. Uh, this is weird to say, but he went into more detail about learning that than I did. He just happened to tell me that at dinner table one night. <laughs> so um, yeah. I want to learn a little bit more about that. But it, it's interesting to me. I know for a fact that the Constitution was not built for two sustained parties. They were built for yeah. parties to come and go and evolve and, and uh, different points of view. And and I really feel like the Constitution was actually written for a more independent uh, political belief lifestyle than than what we have today. Um, yeah. And I think that's part of the problem. I, and you and I keep skirting around this one and we keep talking about doing it, but new topics come up. But I really think we need to look at what does the independent portion of this country look like? And yeah. is it time to disrupt the the parties and, and either add a third one in there or uh, abolish the party system and, and go to something else? But I think that's gonna that's a long ways away, and those guys aren't gonna relinquish any power or control in the meantime. But, no, anything short of a coup, I think, would make that quite impossible at this point. But it well, is we interesting to see coup. how it can evolve. Yeah, we may have a coup in place. You yeah, know, if, if the Secret Service has to remove Donald Trump, like like some of the memes are going around about it, uh, you know, there there may be a there may be an attempt on that. So. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, what is the, so we, we heard in Trump's speech, I don't want to call it a concession because he's been very clear. He did not concede, but he talked about all of the Republicans that won down ballot and how important that was. Um, what are, what was he talking about? It comes down to the state legislatures. I think specifically what Donald Trump was talking about, um, was that when the states have Republican-controlled legislatures, it checks out, um, it gives Republicans a lot of control with um, worrying about how things are being handled at a local level. You know, if their agendas are being carried out at a state level, then the national level, everything's a lot easier and a lot more smoother to kind of push through in the system because they can say, hey, you know, 38 or I think it's 38 states have Republican controlled legislatures or or some kind of high margin like that. And um, when they look into um, that and they can say, Hey, you know, the majority of the states support this X, Y, Z, we're seeing this across the board. Let's keep moving forward. There's also cases where we're seeing now, um, you know, there's one wackadoodle uh, legal way Trump could become president by using the state legislatures to nominate electors that they feel fit to represent their state. And in theory, all these Republican held legislatures could just nominate partisan electors who would break and like break with um, the state popular vote and instead just choose Donald Trump as president. So that's kind of not going to happen because it would require an unprecedented amount of people to really throw away what the vast majority of their state actually wanted and uh, that would just be that would be more of a coup than anything else if something like that were to take place. So the, right. the that just wouldn't happen necessarily. But more than anything, it's um, you know when politics is most effective at a local level. You know that's where you're going to see the most amount of change. Whether if you want to see you know the impact on your life, like local infrastructure or kind of how your community is operating or its response to the pandemic. You have to look at how your state 
and local uh, government is made up. And, you know, you'll likely be surprised if you live in a liberal area to see a shocking amount of conservatives holding local office. And in a way, that makes sure that their agenda is being carried out, you know, and it's the same agenda that it is at a national level. You can see tax rates being very similar for property taxes and things that are decided locally. You can also see how money is spent and where dollars are being pushed for development and a handful of different just interesting aspects like that. You know, I'm very involved with kind of the local government of Lubbock, and a lot of people are surprised to find out that. Um, the money being collected by Central, East, North Lubbock is actually being spent to develop the South and the West of the city. And it's kind of just a shocking realization that, oh my gosh, you know, a portion of my tax dollars that are going to improve the community are not being spent in my part of the community at all. They're being spent to expand the suburban sprawl. So that's where you start to see like, huh, you need to get involved at kind of the local level where it's most important. And depending upon what your local beliefs are and how you believe your money and tax dollars should be spent, a huge amount of that is decided down ballot. So, you know, just taking away the House and the Senate races and you look at state legislatures and local governments, the a conservative belief systems being carried out at a higher level than it is um, – that is represented by just like cold polling numbers of the majority minority of the government. So there's still a, an incredible thing happening here where even though the majority of the country agrees with, you know, just slightly leaning left moderate ideals, a leaning right moderate agenda is being carried out in place. And, you know, some might say that's a kind of a natural equilibrium that takes place. And others might say that there's just not really that much attention on the left being spent on these down ballot races and they're missing a lot of real opportunity. Well, I think part of that comes into play when people do what I used to do up until this year, actually which is I knew who I was going to vote for for president because I would do my research on presidents and, and follow those guys. And then once you hit that, that mark for president, you really just kind of fly down the ballot and just start picking names. Cause you don't know who half of these people are. Exactly. And, and so what you're saying is that's actually advantageous of what you should be doing because your vote is more likely to count in those local areas where you're going to have more impact on you per se than the presidential one. I mean, obviously exactly. you need to, you still need to vote for president. Don't, that's not what I'm yeah. saying. What I'm saying is, no, of course, you know, in this year, and since you and I were really kind of getting this up and started and, and doing that, uh, it became more important. And one night my wife and I, uh, shared some wine and we sat down and we went through and looked at and learned what we were voting for and yeah. uh, all the way down the ballot. And, you know, it's things like people go in there and go, uh, why do I care who the railroad commissioner is? I don't even have a railroad around me. Well, the railroad commissioner actually addresses a lot of different topics. Um, and it's not just the railroad Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like how people don't realize that the Department of Energy and the head of the Department of Energy actually controls all of our nuclear stockpile and all of our nuclear weapons. You're like, oh, I didn't realize that that was in the job description. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's you, very similar. You might want to start paying attention to who you are choosing to put put in place as, as leadership 
for, for it's some also of this. when you see these down ballot measures something like you know they'll purposefully put very vague names on these measures that you're voting on and they'll say like you know uh do you vote, you know, yes or no on Section 271B of Measure 18? And it's, you know, vague language that unless you've done research on, you have no idea what you're saying. Yeah. And it, things happen where when that vague language is put into place, like in California, they shot down a handful of pretty progressive measures, such as allowing Lyft and Uber drivers the right to unionize. Um, that was shot down in California, which you would expect it to pass uh, very easily in a very, you know, liberal state. So it's funny. And a lot of people ask, okay, you know, would that have passed if there was just plain language put on there and said, Hey, this is the bill allowing these people to form unions. And, uh, so there's a lot of tricks that's put into place. And a lot of people need to be more cognizant of doing that research before going out to the polls to make sure that what they're voting really does represent the beliefs that they have. Yeah. And I would say, Unless you're related to some of those down ballot people, you don't even really know what that means or, or anything else. I mean, it was we just moved up to Amarillo uh, in July and on the ballot, there was a ballot for 205A or, or a bill for 205A. I had no idea what that was. I We're in the middle of a global pandemic, so I hadn't been out to talk to a lot of people. I hadn't really seen mm-hmm. anything about it. It was really the first time that I saw it. And I just voted to pass it. I, I don't know why. I don't have a yeah. specific reason. I was just, by that time, I was ready to be done with, with casting my ballot and get out. And uh, come to find out, it was a bill to do a, I think it was a $75 million update to the Civic Center uh, to add <laughs> more capacity. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Well, come find out. It did not pass because... The uh, opponents came out and said, listen, th- this isn't for what we're trying to accomplish. This isn't going to hit the goal and this isn't enough seats. We have to get to a minimum of 13,000 seats to bring in bigger shows and, and everything else. Yeah. So vote no against this so that we can go back and do it. Plus, nobody's touring right now. We can't book anything right now. So there's no reason yeah. for us to do this right now. Let's do it next year. I'm like, you know, if I would have known that, I probably would have voted no. Instead of accidentally doing a bump to our taxes that I didn't really, because what they say makes a lot of sense. I know that you have to have a minimum of 13,000 seats in order to bring people in uh, or Mm -hmm. certain level of bands in or or shows in. And if you don't have that, then you miss out on a lot of the uh, opportunities to book entertainment. And but I had no idea and I just voted yes on it. I'm glad it didn't pass because I think what they're trying to accomplish is, is better. But um, that's that's an example of not paying attention to those down ballots and, and also uh, your local and, and regional or local and state uh, election needs. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's shocking, you know, how much down ballot does affect everyday life. And yeah. So that's what's interesting, you know, when you see the president who can see <clears throat> the bigger picture, whereas I, I do think he was more referring to the fact that the Republicans held the state legislatures, sure. which means he had a higher chance of potentially uh, bringing the presidency back to him. But um, at the same right, it could also be said that he's also recognizing that, you know, even if the presidency does shift to um, – 
the Democrats, the Republicans still control the vast majority of elected seats in this country. Yeah. Which at the end of the day means that they will, you know, they're not dying. They're not in trouble. But what's interesting is we're starting to see a, a, a shift. And while I definitely think we want to do an entire episode on the Electoral College and what banning it would mean for one party versus the other and the positives and the negatives and everything else. But we're starting just to see a shift in demographics where more Democrats are moving to more rural spaces just across the board. Or they're starting to move to cities that have been traditionally very Republican strongholds that are smaller, something like Lubbock, for example, where they're starting to carry a higher margin. So Texas is just the perfect example to use for this because it was in the news all election. But everybody talked about Texas flipping blue and everybody said, how is that possible? And everybody obviously focused on the major city centers, Fort Worth, Dallas, Houston. San Antonio, those all had much higher return margins um, in blue. Actually, Tarrant County and Fort Worth actually flipped blue this year as well. And that was important. But across the state, obviously, those rural areas, the state had a high enough margin to carry Trump and hand him the uh, 38 electoral votes. But what all kind of the Democrats are realizing now is all those rural counties were carried by less of a margin. So Democrats are moving in and turning out at a higher rate than they have been in these rural counties across um, across the state. So we're starting to see that probably over the next two to three election cycles, um, a lot of these more rural counties are going to have a higher propensity of Democratic voters and cities might actually start to become more in play. Some cities, obviously, not all major ones for Republicans. So there might be a pretty big demographic shift taking place here where the Democrats might be smart to start to focus on down ballot races and just kind of general local elections and let um you know, Republicans kind of do whatever they might do in working at a national scale. So there just seems to be a lot of change in what the future of the country might look like in terms of what the parties are focusing on. And uh, whereas, you know, it it seems like a pretty easy strategy um, in the last couple election cycles, I think things are going to get very, very advanced and very interesting as we move forward on, um, you know, where money should be spent and where time and energy should be spent. Yeah. And, you know, I think you, you bring up a great point in this is those democratic uh, strongholds are usually the more populous areas, the, the larger cities. And then the rural area really is, is always held together by, by Republicans. And I think what this election this year showed you as well is, um, you know, that population, balance. And and that is changing. You know, people are moving out of these larger markets and into smaller markets. Um, and that's what's really kind of pulling those those numbers uh, a little bit closer to to a balanced nature. But I started thinking about it as, as you were kind of explaining it. And I think a lot of people don't understand how, exactly how big Texas is. Um, yeah, because we had a friend that was that lived in Denver and they came down or they're coming down and they said, uh, hey, I'm, go- I'm flying into Dallas for work. Do you want to meet for lunch? Well, Lubbock, it looks close on the map, but Lubbock is six hours away. We're like, uh, no, I don't think we're going to meet yeah. you in Dallas for, for lunch. 
uh, kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I talk to people all the time. But one of the, the interesting things to me is when you look at the populace, there aren't, I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and there's one, two, three, four, four of the top 11, um, or, or we can even go five, five of the top 15 largest cities in America are in Texas. And there is no state. California has three. Yeah. And so, um, and they're a little bit closer to the, the 15, uh, 13 or uh, 15, 12 and, and 10 mark. But I think that is one of those things that you, you look at is, you know, we have so many democratic strongholds, but they're starting to bleed out and that's really going to make a change down ballot for a lot of places. I mean, there was a couple uh, statewide Senate races this this time that were closer than anybody had in, anticipated, and people who typically hadn't really had to campaign to keep their position really had to get in there and start start moving around and and getting the fight going again. Um, so I think that's going to definitely have an impact now. The, the ones that we've got some runoffs that are going to have some uh, big implications on Senate and, and state or um, sorry, uh, House and Senate uh, implications. So what do you think of those guys? I think it's going to be pretty competitive races. You know, there's estimates that $1 billion are gonna, is going to be spent in the state of Georgia over the next month in terms of advertising. That is insane. Um, I thought I heard yeah. $500 million and I thought that was insane. Yeah, yeah, between both of those races. And, um, God, I so, so badly want to go and open an agency in Georgia right now. Yeah, so <laughs> on one side you have um, John Ossoff, who's the Democratic challenger, who uh, ran for the House of Representatives in 2018 and, and narrowly lost there. So he's been running um, for office since Trump has been in office. Then his uh, challenger is the incumbent David Perdue. Uh, David narrowly, narrowly lost the 50-point percentage needed to win outright in the first round. So that is why that runoff's taking place. That looks like it could be possible for uh, Asaf to win. He's young, charismatic. He's got a lot of good energy around him and interest. Um, so that's possible, although it seems like it is going to be much more difficult. Uh, Purdue has a huge incumbent advantage there. Um, people recognize his name. You know, Georgia, while it did flip blue for the presidential race, it's going to be very hard to have those same kind of record turnout numbers from the Democrats and kind of first time voters for this subsequent runoff. So I would say Purdue's favored in that. Then the, uh, the other race we have is um, an interesting one as the margins were much, much lower compared to the Ossoff and, um, Purdue race, you know, whereas those were split kind of 47 to 50 in their race on the other side and the, uh, the special, the both challengers only really hit like the high 20s and 30s. So um, there was a much, much larger pool of uh, people running in that race. So the two people that it's come down to in the runoff are Raphael Warnock, who is actually a pastor at Martin Luther King's old church. And he is the Democratic candidate who he carried, I think, about 33 to 35 percent of the vote. Yeah, I think um, that's right. Yeah, around there, right? Yep. 
think it was like 33.5% or 33.7%, something like that. And then he is running against the incumbent, which I am trying to remember her name off the top of my head. Do you know? I think it I was Loeffler. Loeffler. Loeffler, yes. Loeffler. And um, she has been a controversial figure. She's parroted some QAnon talking points in the past and uh, made some ill, ill-fated statements. She's since walked back on that, but is nonetheless controversial. So she only carried, in- I think, 27% of the vote or so. So that race seems like it'll be probably um, – easier for the democrats to nab that being said the incumbent effect is, is very big and then on the other side of the coin is nobody knows if the democrats can actually create the turnout necessary um a second time without donald trump being on the ballot well loffler was she was appointed wasn't she i believe so yes by the republican government right okay that that makes a difference too when when you have an appointee versus a elected official yes that that makes it a little bit harder to to understand because there's no history of well she was able to carry this vote in the past it, it's more of she was appointed and nobody had to vote for her before yeah no, very, very true. Um, it's still when you get to a certain point, name recognition does play a role. And just hearing, yeah. you know, the Laurie Loeffler over the last two or three years will sway a surprising amount of voters. And uh, it is it's weird and it's bizarre. But the further down ballot you go, the higher the incumbent effect takes um, takes hold, even with appointed officials. Yeah, that's that is very true, too. So mm-hmm. top of mind Plus, awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Make sure you're making as many impressions as possible if you are um, running a local race. Yep. So, um, so what's the, the biggest takeaway from down ballot? Uh, we've, we have talked the presidential side, uh, quite a bit, but what is your, what was your biggest takeaway from the down, down ballot stuff? That all of the data and all of the trends, a lot of people have relied on over the last decade are now we're seeing a shift. We're seeing a shift in demographics. We're seeing a shift in location. We're seeing a shift in partisanship across the board that nobody expected in any way. So what that's creating now is opportunity um, for both sides of the coin to appeal to a new subset of voters, um, you know, that they really have never thought of as part of what could be their base and whatever party does that successfully with those new audiences that are becoming available to them due to these demographics shifting is going to ultimately be incredibly successful over the next several decades. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and my takeaway from, from the down ballot um, elections is uh, really you, you need to pay attention to that state state level. That's, that's where it's going to have the most impact on you and uh, pay attention to uh, not just the top name on the ballot, but uh, what these these uh, um, other people do and, and where they align. But also what I mean, just pay attention or learn what a railroad commissioner does or a mm-hmm. Department of Energy or uh, Secretary of State. They're not 
uh, unimportant. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the the ballot. So um, I would I would just make sure that you're paying attention to uh, everything on the ballot, not just the 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 name on the 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 big one on top. Absolutely. Oh. Cool. Well, uh, regardless if you are on the left or the right, it is time for us to get in the middle to move this country forward. Yep. And we look forward to exploring that common ground with you on the next episode. And don't forget to like, share, uh, and follow us on all of the social media and anywhere that you get your podcasts. 100%. And on Twitter, we are at leaning underscore middle.